if you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. Horse welfare and safety are of utmost importance where humans have any interaction with horses. Within the courses at International Horse College, we only utilise methods that promote safe and humane ways of interaction between horses and humans. We only support safe methods of educating riders, handlers and trainers about horse welfare. Internationalhorsecollege.com, registered training organisation 31352. Our guest today at Horse Chats is Ben Hart from Hart's Horsemanship. Now, Ben's been a guest before. If you haven't heard his previous chat, just go to number 567. And something about Ben, you know, we had the title, Putting the Horse First for Ethical Horse Training, and I think that sort of describes Ben. I think that he uses his training courses to balance theory of learning and the practical application of equine behaviour. And we're going to talk to him today about that and about 10 tips for working with equine behaviour. Okay, you there, Ben? How are you? Yeah, I'm really good, thank you. Really yeah. good. Good, good. Ready to hit the day, and you're, you're up early, so you must have a busy yeah, day on. Yep. Five o'clock here in the morning. Yep. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Ben, this, um, we've got this off your website, which is heartshorsemanship.com, but we're going to expand on it a, a bit more, of course. You know, this tips for working with equine behaviour, how often do you need feel within your clinics that you need to go over this with people? Do you find that they don't understand equine behaviour enough that you have to keep going over these tips? These tips are really about principles Mm -hmm. which guide people in all their situations. So they're like a compass that give people a sense of direction. Um, Whatever method they have, they all interlink, and it's really about human behaviour, how we interact, the way we look at things, mm-hmm. and for that reason, they're a foundation. So we're, we're talking about them constantly rather than focusing on them deliberately and you must remember these 10 things. It's much more about people picking up what they need from these tips to be able to just make that little step forward with the requirement. Okay, okay. So the first one, and, and I like the way that you said that, you know, there are a lot about human behaviour. The first one, it's obvious, but you know, we've got to keep reminding ourselves about never losing your temper or your patience. Never lose your temper or your patience. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'm going to say horse throughout this chat, but I'm, I'm really meaning horse, donkey, and mule. It's just easier to say horse. Of course, horse. of course, yes. all three. But there's some really good reasons for this one, which, which are evident, but when you drill down a little bit, they make a huge difference. So the first one I find is if people get out of patience is they generally end up feeling guilty. Um, And everybody's done it. It's a a normal human behavior. And if we can avoid that guilt, because that has a a conflict within our behavior, we make mistakes going forward because we're feeling guilty about what happened previously. Um, You end up not wanting um, or waiting for the response you needed to communicate with your horse. So if you get out of patience and you're pushing too quickly, you often don't wait long enough just to get the right thing. And that delaying the the reinforcer 
is really important. So people jump in too quickly before the horse has really had a chance to solve the problem. And then people spend a lot of time correcting the mistakes or overreach that happen when they get out of patience. So quite often I'll say to people, you know, they get something good in the first five minutes of training. Mm-hmm. And then they keep going and they push further. And then it goes wrong. And then it takes 20 minutes to get back to where they were in the first five minutes. And everybody does that. It's that moment where you just go, I wonder if, if I could just pick that foot up again, if I could just push that a little bit more, rather than just staying patient and saying, you know, let's just stop there. Yeah. So losing the patience ends up damaging the consistency, which then damages their trust in us because we become inconsistent. We're, they can't predict our behavior as well because are we going to stay nice and patient? Is it a comfortable day? Everything's fine. And if we don't stay patient, then we can't be consistent. So the way to do this for me, and, and this is what we always are talking about a, a lot with our uh, clients, is it's easier to stay patient if you have like, small written steps. This is coming back to the shaping plan idea. Yes, yes. Because you know you're getting somewhere. Mm-hmm. So often people have great big steps, they're trying to do a big thing, um, and they keep pushing. Yeah. But if you can just take a little step you know it might be a two second step a five second step a two meter step mm-hmm. and then you can reset your patience clock you don't have to have endless patience you just need patience for each small step so the, yes. the tip we would probably share with people is before you start work take 10 seconds to remind yourself of how difficult learning can be okay for your horse even if we're perfect trainers and, and none of us are perfect trainers let's be honest so we keep that responsibility for progress focused on ourselves rather than putting pressure on the horse. And that then gives patience to people. Yes, yes, yes. No, that just makes a lot of sense. It's pretty logical. Yep, yep. It, it is logical. And, you know, we all know, oh, yeah, okay, we shouldn't lose our patience. But it's mm. why it's so important. And if you can give something a why, it drives people to perhaps be able to do it a little bit better. And, and walking away early that's the best way to keep your patients all the yes. time. Just finish yes. it, small session, walk away before it gets out of, okay. out of hand. Okay, okay. Now I know that you, you use practical application of the science of behaviour. You know, you're, um, you want it safe, ethical, yep. sustainable. Domination over the horse. Does a good leader need mm-hmm. to dominate the horse? <laughs> well, Yeah. <laughs> That's a big question, isn't it? <laughs> it, is a, it is an interesting question. It should be a simple yes, no, but I'm sure there's a lot more explanation. Yeah, a good leader doesn't need to dominate at all. So, and I could, at first, we have to accept the dominance is a myth, and I could talk about all the, all day about mm-hmm. the dominance. Um, yep. issue and yeah, that's why I've got resources and free webinars and stuff on it because it, it, it's so important. But Ultimately, what it comes down to is our perception of our relationship with, with the animal and what is leadership. I mean, so many people who are worried because they're not natural leaders or naturally confident, and that's fine. You, it's about being a different type of leader. And so people say, you know, you've got to control their feet. And I say to them, well, let's help that horse understand what you want and let them control their own feet. You know, if the horse is working with us, we don't need to micromanage it especially uh, when training, that sort of puts pressure on mistakes and links into a later one of these tips. So most people want some form of ship 
which I, which I would refer to as they want a horse relationship, they want companionship, they want partnership, all of those things. And if you think from the end first, what is the relationship I want to have with my horse? Then I have to work in a way to deliver that relationship. So if you want a dominant relationship, then you train in a dominant way. You control everything. You um, make sure the horse only does what you say, uh, and you ensure that you always get what you want. Now, that leads to a, a different type of relationship than if you want a partnership. So you train in a different way to do that. And there are lots of different leadership styles uh, that we could apply to horsemanship. But in essence, we need our horse to be able to say pro- solve problems. You know, whether on the trail, the road, in the ring, on the stable, it's a partnership. The two of us have got to be able to input into how close we are to that jump, what we're going to do next, whether we should stop or whether we should go for it. Mm-hmm. And if we dominate, what we do is we teach the horse not to think, but only do. And that that appeals in some ways, especially if you've got a horse problem at the moment. But long term, we want to encourage that partnership. And that's why we step away from this. Um, a good leader doesn't need to dominate. They need to inspire. They, they need to be consistent. They need to understand. They need to do some really important things. And all you have to do is think about how do I want to be led? If I'm in a relationship at work or in, in uh, social life, you know, do I want to be dominated or do mm. I want to input into it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you've got, to, as a point, never allowed yourself to be bullied by others who assume they know better. <laughs> and yeah, never allow yourself to be bullied by others and um, who assume they know better is an easy thing to say. And mm-hmm. I meet so many people because this is such a huge one in the equestrian world for people who feel bullied or, or I actually say they let themselves be bullied because they tell themselves they're not good enough, they're too yes. young, they're too old, yep. too inexperienced. You know, all of those excuses of, of why somebody else would no more and, mm. and they sh- they're not good enough so the first thing with this is uh, horsemanship you have to believe you're good enough and then the truth is through my career most equine centered people I meet know their horse better than anyone else and if you listen to them and if they trusted their own intuition they, they do the right thing because when you allow yourself to be sort of bullied or put upon by the expert in the yard or somebody else who tells you what you should be doing, it creates a lot of conflict because now there's what you want to do because you know your horse and what somebody else is telling you to do and then you're not sure and then the horse is picking up on the fact there's actually three of you in the relationship, your horse, you and the bully. Mm. So then there's all that confusion between the two and people immediately say, well, that's really easy to say how do I deal with it and my tips for dealing with this sort of thing is is look for the evidence that people walk the talk before you listen to them Mm -hmm. so are people doing with their horse what they're advising you to be doing in in the right way if you know your own principles and boundaries and and that's why we created the course on boundary setting it's so important to know your boundaries and and what are your non-negotiables so when people are telling you this is what you've got to do and, and forcing, you can go, well, actually, that's that's not something that fits with my principles. Mm-hmm. Yes. And that gives you some protection from feeling you've got to behave somebody the way somebody else has told you to behave because they've got 20 years' experience. Mm-hmm. 
And finally, I, I advise people, you know, there's a simple phrase that begins to diminish the effect other people have on you. And it's, that's interesting. And so when people start giving you advice, you should do this, you've got to show them who's boss, it's simple. You say one of three things. You say, that's interesting. Why would you say that? Or you say, that's interesting. Why would you do that? Or you say, that's really interesting. Why would you think that? And you do it genuinely because you want to explore the other person's reasoning so that you can see if it fits within your principles and boundaries. Now, pretty soon, those people who are going to bully you do one of two things. They either avoid you completely because they have to justify what they're doing because they know you're going to ask. That's interesting. Or they start to explain stuff and come to a conclusion maybe they're not saying the right things and expose themselves to you in in sense of knowing that, okay, that's not what I want. Or you learn some stuff and go, well, actually, that's got a really good point. Mm, mm. But they, it's a really good defense mechanism. Just being brave enough to say, that's really interesting. Why would you do that? And then stand back and let people decide whether they really want to bully you in the future. Yes, yes. We talk about equipment with horses. You know, use this bit of equipment, mm-hmm. that bit of equipment. What's the best bit of equipment to you? Actually, I should say, I know you're going to say the best bit's your brain, but explain that a bit more about, you know, we'll talk about, because there's lots of different equipment that's going to solve this problem, solve that problem. Why is the brain the best bit of equipment we can use? The best bit of equipment available is your brain because your brain is the bit that answers the question, should I pick up the equipment in the first place? (laughs) Yes. So, there's an old saying that we all know, which is, you know, uh, any equipment only as good as the hands that hold it. And uh, that's really good. I, I like that. But the brain is the bit that says, should I? Should I be doing this? Am I in the right place? Is it safe? And so using your brain to do some strategic thinking first. So often I see horse owners that are, are thinking when they're in the situation or at least trying to, but then fears in the way and safety and, and everything confused in that moment of pressure so planning ahead um, really leads to consistency flexibility safety all of those important things you know, we don't sit down in horsemanship and actually just plan ahead what am i going to do today so often training sessions start when people have got their hand on the gate or the stable door right what are we doing rather than using their brain to plan what's my horse's behavior you know do I have a, a, a proper plan in place to, to work with this or to train this new task? And you know, that's, again, where the shaping plan comes in, and that's why people struggle with it because it's different for horsemanship. We're so often in our head just training rather than stepping back, preparing, getting ourselves in the right place. So often an example would be if you're trying to set a boundary with a horse that pulls off or um, pulls to grass or something like that. We try to deal with it in that moment. Instead of spending some time preparing mentally, how am I going to deal with that situation? And visualizing it and working with it so that you're prepared when it happens, it can be enjoyed and the timing becomes better and work with it. And that's why I think the brain is, is the most important piece of equipment because it, it feeds everything else that we do. Yes, uh, yes. So that's what we're encouraging people to think. I, I teach people what to think. Mm. I want people to learn how to think. Yes. And that's crucial for, for 
Yes, yes. And the brain's the one that's going to say, what bit of equipment do I need? Or do I even need to pick up this bit of equipment? That's so absolutely. Mm. Do I need to pick up that bit of equipment? Is there a better way to do this? Am I just reaching far too much and making holes too big and therefore I should just back off and stop? And it's listening to the brain. The intuition, the subconscious that comes through is so important. Yep, yep. Now, we all are quite ambitious you know, with our goals. And I know you talked about before, you know, just never losing your temporal patience and and keeping everything consistent. But that achievability of the goals, can you talk to us about what's actually achievable for us, what's actually achievable for our horse, and how do we know it's achievable? You know, some people say they want to go to the Olympics or the World Championships and they might be a, you know, eight-year-old kid and blow me down, they get there. So what do, how do we work out what's achievable? Should we be working on short-term, long-term? Should we be working on goals for the session? Yeah, tell us a little bit about goal setting. Okay, making your goals achievable for you and your horse. And there's the, the key bit is about you and your horse. And yes. so I think a great example you just used of the eight-year-old girl, you know, wants to go to the Olympics. It's perfectly achievable, but it's a long-term goal. Mm-hmm. And it might not be achievable with her current 12-hand pony. And that she just wants to go to the Olympics and be a spectator, you know. Yep. But... So it's a combination of these two aspects, us and the horse. And what I find happens most with these, as you said, but we all want to get somewhere. We all want to um, progress. Even if it's just my goal is to have a calm, happy, enjoyable, safe ride out um, on the trail or around the, the pop. The point is that we have to enjoy the journey. Yes. So how we choose if our goals are going to be achievable, well, the first element is are we and the horse probably going to enjoy them? Because if we're not going to enjoy them, we're not going to stick with them long enough. And then it's about the ability to shape behavior. So whether you have a, a smallish goal or a long goal, it doesn't matter. It's how we break it down. Now, as I said, these um, tips kind of interlink. So it's about patience again. Uh, if I want to go to the Olympics, it's probably a 15, 20-year goal. Um, and it's clear that that's going to be broken down into lots of small steps. So you might have 10 different goals for that long one, or you might have just one goal for, for a small step. The key problem here is that people end goal. They focus only on the long-term, I'll be happy when this happens. And that causes them to push too much, too fast, to ask two biggest steps of the animal because they're focusing on the end. And it's so common. You know, we miss the journey and the, the weeks or the years that take us to get where we want to. And my belief is that if we're good at training, if we're good at shaping, if we use our brain, then actually we can achieve any of those goals we want to do. And because we have that ability to look at it and go, is it right for the horse? Should I be doing this? Okay, if I really want that goal, let me change horses or let me amend the way I want to do it. So breaking the goals down into these smaller, achievable steps are what creates anybody's success um, and making them achievable. And it just depends on how prepared you are to enjoy that journey, whether it's building confidence. Confidence is a massive one. People lose their confidence and their goal is just to enjoy going out to ride again. 
that's a bigger goal than somebody potentially going to the Olympics if you're totally confident and, you, and you're, you're good at what you're doing. Mm-hmm. So managing yourself and breaking it down into small steps is the way we begin to say any goal is really achievable if you want to take the time to do it. And I think it's about people finding their own path to horsemanship, really, yeah. rather than just following somebody else's set plan or this is what you should do because you have a horse. You know, if you have a horse and you want to um, have him in the paddock and, and enjoy him, then that's a great goal. Go for it. Make it happen. If you want to go to the Olympics, great. Do that too. Um, but just focus on breaking goals down into really small, successful steps. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And both enjoying the training. Definitely. You know, that, that, so many people have horses to enjoy them, and then they get to enjoy them. They yeah. get to enjoy the journey. That's the bad bits. It's the difficult bits. It's the bits where you're sitting, What? What? what why am I doing this? Mm, mm. But you have to enjoy as well, because those are the bits that inspire you. Those are the bits you learn from. Those are the bits that you grow in. So enjoying the journey, that grit to keep going. And we can measure grit nowadays in that ability to not give up. But not in a stubborn kind of you will jump four foot six and a way of actually let's keep working, let's make this a longer goal. And I think there's the solution to most of this is that if people stretch their goal over a longer period but take smaller steps to get there, they're more likely to achieve it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, if we're training a horse, you know, the horse will give us a try. They get it wrong. They don't do what we want but they try, but it's the wrong thing. Stop. I need to interrupt this chat for a hot-off-the-press notification. That is, that the latest version of the book, 101 Careers in the Horse Industry, is now available, and the best news is that it's a free download. So if you work in the horse industry, if you have a plan to work in the horse industry and have a career in the horse industry, or if you know someone who plans to have a career in this fabulous industry, then this is an essential book for you to read now and then keep as a reference as you progress through your career. With over 100 jobs to choose from, you'll probably find at least one that you'd happily do without being paid. So simply go to internationalhorsecollege.com, scroll down to the bottom of the page and click on the 101 Careers in the Horse Industry button to receive your free career book. Imagine, maybe one day you could be a guest on Horse Chats. Tell us about how to train that. Do we punish? You know, what do we do to teach the horse to give what the signal is? Okay. So the tip being, you know, never punish a mistake. Never punish a mistake. Doing so punishes a try. And and I think it's important to understand, though, you know, because some people don't get the what's a try. You know, maybe talk about what a try is first before we talk about never punishing it. Okay, that's a really good point. What is a try? A try any trial of behavior so the animal is doing anything it's trying it's trying to solve a problem that we presented with it whether that's standing still moving over whatever it might be we tend to categorize their behavior as being very deliberate so when the animal makes a try or a behavior that doesn't fit with what we expected, that's where people tend to get out of patience and start down the road of thinking he's deliberately being deceitful, he's trying to be naughty, and, and words that 
people use to describe behavior incorrectly. If you come at this from a point of view that the true nature of the horse is to try and do the right things, you know, ultimately, if your principles tell you that a horse is bigger than us, it's stronger than us, it can kick harder, run faster, fight harder, it doesn't have to do anything that we want to. We want it to, you know, it just doesn't have to. But their nature is actually to try and do the right thing. Now, if they're under anxiety or fear or stress or pressure, those things might come rapidly. They might be big. If we train in a calm, quiet way, hopefully those tries are going to be really small. But a try to me is is anything that the animal offers in a response to interaction you have with it. You know, we talk about you know from conditioning, you know, learning. We often call it trial and error learning for a reason. You know, we don't hear people talk about oh, I was doing some trial and success learning, although we could do. You know, we learn the process or the requirements of a task. We often make more mistakes than successes. If you think about anything you've learned yourself, you'll realise how many mistakes we make in that process we we in fact fail our way to success quite often and yet if you punish so punishment is about stopping behavior so anything that will decrease the likelihood of the behavior happening again mm-hmm. so it's going to stop behavior that's all punishment does it doesn't tell the animal what to do it's anything that the animal then will stop it stops the behavior shout you know shouting or loud noises or hitting or work or all sorts of things that come into whatever the animal perceives as punishment. Mm -hmm. So if you're stopping behavior, then what happens is the animal offers less things because it fears making a mistake. It doesn't want to be punished. So in one hand, you're trying to tell the horse, yeah, I want you to do things and offer behavior because that's what I need you to do in order to shape your behavior, get the things that I want from you. But then if you punish that, you're saying, stop offering behavior. Yep. So now you've got conflict in the horse's mind mm. about, well, should I or shouldn't I? You get less and less behavior and all of a sudden you've got nothing to actually work with because they're offering fewer and fewer trials. So you're going to say, oh, but what if they bite you, Ben? You know, you punish that. And for me, it's about understanding why they're biting and and um, how that works and how can we get rid of the causes of behavior. Now, if you think about biting or if you think about a horse that you're trying to pick up his feet and he kicks, then the fact you don't leave with the animal effectively is saying kicking or biting doesn't work. You've provided information to him. I don't need to punish him, just need to show him the behavior didn't work. Mm-hmm. So even negative behaviors, which where people are more inclined to punish, don't need to be punished. It was a try from the horse. Yep. I have a golden rule, which is kind of if, if the horse bites you once, shame on him. If he bites you twice, shame on you for not paying enough attention to stay out of his mouth. And mm. um, um, because you, you have to know, I'm now working with a biting horse, so it's my job to, to make sure I don't get bitten. Um, can we set those boundaries? Can we correct those things? Yes. And it comes back into leadership then. What sort of leader do you want to be? I don't have to dominate him, which which would take me down the punishment route. I have to 
talk about leadership and how I set that up to succeed and solve these efforts. And, and these tiny trines that they give us, if we can reward those, if we can get our timing right, that's where our communication is. And so when we get those efforts from our horses, recognizing the mistake is important because it eliminates something that doesn't work. So the horse is actually learning. We see mistakes as, as just dead learning, but they're not. There's something the horse can use to go, that didn't work. Okay. And yep. that's an important part. So you've got the foot up, and it wobbles his foot, it kicks a bit, it, it, the horse puts his foot down, and you just carry on working quietly and pick the foot back up. He's eliminated kicking as a way of solving the problem, which is you picking up his foot. That doesn't mean to say you grab all of his foot and hold on crazily. Um, it's about shaping the behavior and everything like that. So it's of course because this is what then comes back into feeding this relationship that you want with the animal. Is it are they gonna offer efforts for you? Yeah. So it's a big one. Okay. But people talk about that a lot rightly because it is an important element to think about. But it's the mindset that you come out as a horse owner um with trying to find those tries and reward them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now Demanding respect. You've said don't demand respect. Be prepared to earn it. So, you know, we've talked about not losing your temper, patience. A good leader doesn't need to dominate. But tell us about respect and how we can earn that respect. Yeah, don't demand respect. Be prepared to earn. I think, mm. for me, this kind of says it all. You, you can't make your horse respect you. You can only be the sort of person your horse can respect. Yep. And it's as simple as this. There's a lot of talk about respect, that um, your horse has to respect you. But then we're back into dominance. You earn it by giving it. So you have to respect your equine situation. You have to um, think about the then dealing not only with their own issues, but ours too. Mm-hmm. You know, whether we're having a bad day, how good a trainer we are. Those are all things the horse is having to deal with. So we can respect that they're in quite a difficult situation sometimes. If we think about their learning style and their character, we begin to respect the challenges that they face. Now, respect is really not about them doing whatever we want when we say. It's about, and that comes from a definition of respect, which is about reverence, like you respect, I don't know, somebody high high up in, in position um, that you you give them that reverence because they've got attained that high position. And that's what we're talking about here. That doesn't feel right for horsemanship. Respect is about empathy and understanding and respecting somebody else's position and respecting the difficulties that they face. That doesn't mean to say you, as a horse owner, completely let the horse do whatever it does. You know, we have to still set boundaries and um, in fact, it's essential to have boundaries for the horse and their behaviour so that they can understand what works and what doesn't. But the best way to set boundaries is to tell the horse the right thing to do. The best way is to, to sort of say, yes, yes, I want that. Yes, that's the right way to do that. Yes, that's correct. So that the horse knows which behaviours to offer. So respect is often used incorrectly in horsemanship around dominance and control and misunderstanding mistakes that horses make as opposed to developing this state of empathy and understanding the difficulties the animal does. And when you give the animal that level of understanding, they have space to kind of give it back 
and to not be feeling like they've got to be forced to to respond or and, and it's escalating and they're building bigger behaviors to control the fact that you're trying to con- dominate them dominate them or to to push them to do things that they want to do mm-hmm. um, and a lot of horsemanship natural horsemanship and certain methods feel like this is where it's got a little bit mixed up in this um, respect issue yes yes okay no, that makes sense yeah, I can sort of see the whole thread, you know, like you said earlier, that we've got 10 tips for working with equine behaviour, but but how they cross over a bit, you know, they all are tips, they all are valuable, they all are relevant to the horse, but um, there's a little bit of a crossover, you know, and a common thread of the whole, I suppose, training horses, working with horses throughout this. Yeah, yeah, because when we're talking about working with equine behaviour, it's everything. If you would think about behavior when you're doing a training session, but it is in everything we do. It, it's when you feed your horse, it's when you change their rug, it's when you give them a groom, it's, it's when they're standing for the farrier. That's all behavior. It's all training constantly. And so these tips are about who you become and the principles that we have that guide our interactions through all of that. And, and they can be used to guide their interactions from actually in a training session or planning to do something, but they can equally be used to guide how we work when we're just interacting with our horses. Yep. Uh, and that is uh, super important for me. I think too often people go to the science of behavior when they're thinking about training, mm-hmm. not when they're just going and hanging out with their horse, which yes. is equally as important. Yeah, yeah. Tell me about bribing and tricking. You've got don't bribe your, or trick your horse. They're smarter than that. They know. I suppose they know when they're being bribed or tricked. But just tell us a little bit more, go into a bit more depth there. So the, the don't bribe or trick your horse, they're smarter than that. So a tip requires you to understand the difference between rewards and bribery. So basically oh, okay. um, yep. a bribe is a payment for something that's not yet been done. Mm-hmm. I kind of offer you the money if you do something for me. A reward is a payment for something that's been completed. So the immediate difference is when we start to bribe a horse, they learn how to get payoffs for unwanted behaviors. So that's the horse that you're trying to bribe to come up to catch, and he develops this really long giraffe neck where you're reaching out and, and grabbing a bit of food and then running away again. Mm-hmm. because we're trying to bribe them. So bribes don't lead to long-term problem-solving or to trust. They, they lead to very short-term. If I grab that food, it's so common to see farm horses that are bribed with food that they will take that bit of food and snatch it or, or they'll reach from a distance, grab and run away, not feeling that you're making progress because you're bribing you're paying them for something they haven't yet achieved, which is standing calmly alongside you or putting their head collar on. And you can see with catching, if you get the head collar on, then give them a food reward, you're rewarding having the head collar on. People say, oh, you know, I can't get close enough to my horse to put a head collar on. But remember shaping. So we can reward steps in our process to put a head collar on. So it's important that we, we have that aspect in it and we're working. But this all comes back to the, the trick and the bribery comes back to trust. It's about trust is predictability. Can you predict the behavior of another animal or person? So if you start to trick your horse 
pretty soon they can't predict your behavior. Or worse still, they can predict that you want to trick them and then they trust you to be deceitful. So then they've got no chance of having that relationship because they're expecting you to trick them constantly to bribe them to come in or to get in the trade with some food and then it stops working and you might get away with a trick or a bribe you know, once maybe even twice and then the horse starts to figure it out and you'll be forced to a new level of bribe or trick you know for me that's no way to actually develop a relationship so when we're talking about this trick it's about being very honest about what you need to achieve it's being um super sensitive to the fact that you, you need to have that plan again to be able to break this down so that you can reward the right behaviors for rewarding the try that the animal makes and if you need to bribe or trick then what we have to do and you, you're feeling that you're doing that to your horse is that we need to go back and look at the cause of behavior and start to work on that, not the symptoms of the cause, because that's what's often happening. If our horse doesn't want to be caught, we try and trick or bribe that symptom rather than going way back to say, why doesn't he want to be caught? What have we yeah. going to change so that my horse wants to be with me? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so when you feel yourself tricking or bribing, that's the key to go, right, okay, I need to go back. And I, and I get it, yeah. you know, in desperate rush to get the horse in, it's your late and it's Sunday afternoon and it's raining and whatever is happening. But if you sense that you've done that, then that's the indicator that you go, right, I need to step back and think why and how do I make sure this doesn't happen again because I'm going to damage the relationship with it. Yep. You talk about um, problem solutions and the next one is always have 10 solutions to one problem, not one solution for 10 problems. So can you expand a bit more on that, you know, having 10 solutions for one problem and not one solution to 10 problems? I was really lucky to learn this tip literally right at the start of of my career um, working with a horse and um, I had some biting behaviours and I was working for a trainer who had a particular method of dealing with this problem and and the horse taught me in about five minutes, you better have more solutions to this problem than the one you're offering me right now. Mm. And that's what started me on my whole journey about studying the science of behaviour and and now looking back, what I recognise is this particular tip about 10 solutions to one problem is the difference between methods between the science of behavior you know, a method will say this is how i stop biting yep you know you have to make the horse respect you push him back or do this mm-hmm. but science says why is my horse biting because there's lots of possible causes for biting so i need to address the cause to remove the animal's need for biting Therefore, I need lots of different solutions to the biting problem that I can try in order to solve that. And so having different solutions acknowledges that unique position of each equine, the the character, the environment, um, the the human, the history, and it allows to build a plan for each situation. So obviously, I talk to people around the world and help them with the equines, and I'm constantly amazed that people will follow a program that's just set out by somebody who created it in a totally different country and didn't even meet them or their horse. 
And what I want to do is say, okay, look, we've got to we've got to teach you how to think, not what to think. How do we begin to work in in these different areas? And you try something, and here we're coming back and linking into that. Don't punish the try. So you, as a human, you try something, and it doesn't work, and then you go, okay, well that's fine because I'm going to try something else, and this might work, and that might work. And and the joke is, of course, we don't know which of our solutions is going to work, but the last one always does. Yes. So. You know, it's it's about avoiding that frustration and getting out of patience because we always know we've got 10 solutions approach. Mm, mm. People get frustrated because that didn't work. You know, the one thing they've been told to do doesn't work. And and this is where you, you come on social media and people say, my horse does whatever it, they've got a problem with. And everybody will offer one solution. You know, do this, do that. It's getting better now that people are starting to ask questions. Well, when does he do it and how often? And, and that's more of the 10 solutions approach that you're looking for. Let me find out about your horse. Let me find out about you. Let me ask those questions. And then we can come up with a number of different scenarios. So when we have a behavior modification plan, what we start to do is create a hypothesis. I think your horse is doing it for this reason. Therefore, let's try this. But once we get that feedback, we may adjust and try a different approach or we may take the next step. So we're constantly modifying. And that allows patience because we're not putting all our hopes on this one thing that's going to affect everything we do and be the, the end goal, if you like. Mm-hmm. Um, and, that, and that comes back into also enjoying the journey. You know, these things are so linked together. But, yes. you know, if you've got you know, work through 10 problems, 10 solutions to a problem, then... You need to enjoy doing that. I suppose when, you know, there's a reward, the horse works it out. And then because the horse works it out, he's happy. And because you know that the horse has worked it out, you're happy. Yeah. Yeah. And then you get a whole load of stuff and information and knowledge and learning that you get more experience. So the next time you meet a problem, you've got more information to be able to offer to the next um, situation that you're in. So it it, it continually grows. And and that's why the 10 solutions approach is is really important. Mm, mm. Now, your last one is, when you think you've tried everything, think again, your imagination is the only limitation. So have you got any examples of how we can use our imagination to help with equine behaviour? Yeah, absolutely. And how we use our imagination is about the tip about how our brain is the most important tool. It's about not getting out of patience because that interferes with our ability to think about having these 10 solutions approach to things. Because when I hear um, people so often, they they tell me, oh, I've tried everything. Um, I think what they mean is this is taking too long, yep. or I'm not enjoying the journey, or perhaps it shows they didn't start out with a 10 solutions approach. Because when we're so close to the problem, when it's your problem, when when the thing you've been working on is still there after months and and um, maybe in some cases years, it, it feels like well, we've done everything. And I always think to myself, well, we can't try everything because the problem still exists. Yeah. See, everything's solvable. You know, even if it's to a level of recognizing it's a medical condition, and we may never be able to do the thing we want to come back to achievable goals. Mm-hmm. Um. It is solvable. We can get to a level of satisfactory um, problem solving where we've gone, actually, yeah, we've solved that problem. So if we haven't solved the problem yet, it just means we haven't found the right solution. And yet is a really powerful word 
perhaps the most important word actually in behavior and training to me because when you say, you know, yet, it implies there are other things to do. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I haven't been able to take him out for a walk yet. It's completely different to I can't take him out for a walk. Yep. I've tried everything. Yep. So adding yet into our vocabulary when we're talking about problems with our horses begins to give our mind a little bit of leverage that there is ways of doing this. There are other things. You know, um, there are different training methods. There are different approaches. There are behavior trainers. There, there are clicker trainers. There's all sorts of approaches that we could continue to explore. But it's about going back and never going to the problem to solve the problem. So people don't often go far enough back in their imagination. I've got a problem with loading my horse or I want to load my horse for the first time. People go to the trailer to do that, Mm. to solve the problem at the trailer. But if we take a different approach and we go, can my horse walk over a lead rope on the ground? You know, can I walk over a pole? Can I do this when we begin to shape behavior again and, and break it down into small steps? Then we can begin to develop these different solutions and this imagination. And we look around our environment and people will say to me, Ben, my horse doesn't um, like vehicles, tractors, you know, and but I don't have a tractor, so I can't solve the problem. And you start to step back and go, well, is this problem about a tractor or is it about noise? Is it about vehicles approaching? Is it about uh, claustrophobia? So when you're in a, in a situation where a horse has to stand still while something noisy goes past, and then we can go, okay, let's begin to break that down. Use our imagination to say, what have we got? Um, you know, can my horse actually stand still with the lawnmower going you know, 20 feet away, 50 feet away. Can can someone walk past with um, a motorbike? Can we create situations and use our imagination to have approximations of the final problem that allow us to shape up the behavior for the animal? And that's where the imagination comes in, to just ask more questions, to, to try different things with the horse that allows them to learn the approximation. Have you got a leaf blower, a strimmer? You know, all of those sorts of things could be used in training for a horse that doesn't like loud, noisy um, obstacles. And then start to go, well, when can I go to the road and I can control things? Can I can I use a friend's car? Can I? It's just endless. And the enjoyment of, of trying to figure that out and see your horse succeed because you're using your imagination it is really about enjoying the journey again. Yeah, I like the way you keep coming back to enjoying the journey as well. Yeah, I, I think it's crucial. But all of these steps, and, and so many people have got so much pressure on them, and, and we've got to do this, and we've got to end goal. And and actually, it's like, if you're not enjoying this, how do you expect your horse to enjoy it? How do you expect to see the try? How do you expect to free your brain up to use your imagination if there's so much pressure on us to, to achieve things? And we don't recognize how long it takes, I think, for horses to be able to do something, mm-hmm. to learn something, you know, months and years, but we're end goal. I'm going to be happy when we can get in the trailer and go to the show. Yep. And I said, wow, you know, that, that's a lot of pressure on getting in the trailer mm. as opposed to here's a great opportunity for me and my horse to learn how to trust each other and to build our relationship. So many times people have had the misfortune of having an accident or an injury and they've had to get off their horse and they can't do what they were planning to do. 
and you know, at the time they feel terrible about it. Six months later, I talk to them and they're like, it's the best thing that ever happened. Okay. It made me get to know my whole. Yep. Yep. Um, so don't ever be afraid of stepping back and going, okay, let's just take all the pressure off. Let's just look at what we've got to do, you know, get some help um, before you hear yourself saying, I've tried everything. Yeah. If you feel you're going down that road and you start to dry up, then you know get some get an equine, a qualified behaviour um, practitioner, somebody who's got experience but also got a qualification. Have, get them to do an assessment, get them to build a behaviour modification plan for you. Mm-hmm. And before you get to that, oh, it's too late. I've tried everything because yes. because it, it can be quite hard for people to get back from that once mm-hmm. you think you've tried everything. The temptation is to give up, really, because I'm done. I can't do it anymore. Yes. To get help early, I guess, would be an 11th tip. There yep. you go. Yep, yep. Wow. Well, Ben, you've certainly given us a lot to think about. I think we've gone through. We've done the 10 tip for working with equine behaviour, but you've given us so much more, you know, so much more in-depth information. Ben, if people would like to contact you directly, if they want to get an equine behaviour management plan, is that what you called it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Um, and just talk to you about it. You know, just talk to you. Um, what's the best way to get in contact with you? Is it through your website, heartshorsemanship.com? Yep. Yeah. The the kind of two ways you make some contact through social media and the Facebook page, or mm-hmm. to come through the contact page of of the website is yep. absolutely fine. Um, okay. And try and. I think there are lots of free resources out there that that are on my website, that are on the YouTube channel. There's there's lots of. Um, information that actually can support people and find the answers that they need if they just dig around in, in all of the stuff. Yep. Um, you know, and, and like all of this, I wanted to say about these 10 steps that it's pretty unrealistic because uh, working with human behavior to expect that you've heard the 10 steps, that's great, I'm going to go and do that and we're going to do them all perfectly. What I would suggest for people to do is, is if they think about these 10 steps, rather than going and trying them all, is to kind of maybe list them out and then give themselves a score, give yourself a score in each one of those areas from one to 10. So one is, I've never even thought of it. Mm. 10 is like, I do it in every day in every way. So top score. Yep. Score yourself in, in, in how how well do I, you know, step back and have I got 10 solutions to one problem? Well, I'm pretty good at it. You know, I'll give myself a five. Yep. Look at those scores and then pick out kind of the two lowest areas if you like whatever it might be and then just think about that rather than trying to think about the whole lot just think about two areas that you think if I worked on that and improved my score by one point that would make an improvement in my horse's life yeah. and it might be then choosing what you're going to do it could be reading about the topic it could be talking to a friend it could be trying something putting up a sticky note just to remind yourself to, to do something um, it could be five minutes a day just to mentally rehearse something you know write out your principles Whatever it is, just focus on a couple of those points and, and just raise your score by a tiny bit. And then come back and look at it and say, what else do I want to work on? So rather than trying to tackle the whole thing and end goal and be a perfect trainer again, is to just break it down into smaller steps and say, well, I can achieve this. I can achieve that one small thing. I can do that bit of reading. I can look at writing my plan and, and improve it in that way rather than trying to take everything on at once. That exercise that you've given people, I think that itself, it's very reflective of your training. You're working with equine behaviour, but you're also working with the human behaviour to say, here's your 10, score it, work on two, uh, rather than just 
all of this, you should just be perfect, get it all. You know, like you're not overwhelming people, but you're also telling people not to overwhelm horses. Absolutely. You know, for me, one one of the biggest, most important things I do is, is try to walk the talk. So if I'm going to say, don't do not do this with a horse, we need to see evidence that we're not doing it with people as well. And, mm. and so it's important to give people a chance to succeed. We need to cut ourselves some slack. You know, we're, we're all learning. We're all on a journey. Um, and so it's really important for me that we, we give people ways to grow and to learn and follow their path and, and support them. And this is just an example of, of many of the things that we will do in some of the ebooks that we have and stuff. We, we use this sort of principle quite a lot just to break it down for people, make it easy, enjoy it. And rather than thinking, oh, no, I'll never do all those things, I can't do it. And that's where we fail. That's where we fail on diets and shaping plans where we plan to get fit we get out the door and try and run 10 miles when actually just putting on our fitness kit would have been enough of a step to start with mm. uh, so it's important people realize they're good enough I, I, i've really come to see over the years that the biggest obstacle to success for a lot of horse people is just recognizing that they are good enough and they might not have got everywhere yet but it's, it, they can do it. They can get and reach their potential. And that's what we want to see people do, reach their potential so their horses' lives get better. Mm-hmm. Good, good. And I think, Ben, we've got your contact details through social media, through Hearts Horsemanship, or just go to horsechats.com. It should be horsechats.com slash benhart2, or just go to horsechats.com, search for Ben or search for Hart, H-A-R-T, and you'll find those details. So, Ben, great to talk to you. I look forward to talking to you again. I think if people are thinking about some more of Ben's thoughts, go to the website, read through his articles, have a look at his YouTube channel, lots of information there, and contact him if you'd like to chat about about this some more. So thank you, Ben, and we will hopefully we'll talk to you again soon. Fantastic. It's been a real pleasure just to think these things through and and share with people, and I I hope it makes a difference for them and, and their horses, really. I'm sure it will. Thank you. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate and subscribe. If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government accredited courses at International Horse College.